Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready. And Matt is back next week. He's still in Italy. I know a lot of you are Matt fans, so apologies to the Matt Fossi. But I'm joined this week by Chris Stevens. How's it going, Chris? It's going great, Spanners. All hail the Chris Fossi. That's not a thing. No one likes you. I'm going to make it a thing. I will buy you a green screen. My friend came round this afternoon and I, and I was proudly showing off my podcast and she went, oh, that guy does it from his bedroom. He could at least make the bed. I do. It's it's at least on the bed. That's true. The covers are on the bed. We can't deny that. However, if we talk testing, this time last year, I said to you, I really miss the days of testing broadcast, being broadcast. And you said it was boring and pointless. However, you have to admit, now that it has been resurrected, it's been a lot of fun. I'd say the own, the benefit has been discovering the DAS system on the Mercedes straight away. Otherwise, we wouldn't have found out about it until uh, Melbourne. Um, but um, I can I can see some of the benefits for sure. I'm I'm still not entirely convinced they'll they'll see the full return of it. Oh, come on. We had a week of listening to Will Buxton giving his opinions with Jolian Palmer. Nice to hear Crofty's voice again to tell you that F1 is back. I, I will say, actually, they, they fully went in with it and did the full shebang production and did a really, really great job of it production-wise. Yeah. So I think that means that your argument was incorrect and you have yielded and conceded completely. Good. I, th- I think it was correct at the time. <laughs> For those of you who are new to this podcast, and in fact... For those of you who are new to Formula One, who may have discovered F1 through Drive to Survive and then searched for an F1 podcast and found us, congratulations, you've definitely found the best place for all your F1 analysis. At its core, uh, this this podcast, Missed Apex, is me, Matt Trumpets, who's not here this week, and Chris, 
Chatting F1. But we also have a fantastic revolving panel made up of engineers, journalists, and drivers. Plus, we bring you Inside F1 with Joe Sayward, probably the most respected and notorious journalist in Formula One, has been to every Grand Prix since 1988. Uh, We've also got rising F1 media icon Chris Medland. We have tech experts like Matthew Summerfield and drivers come and join us. Not F1 drivers, but you know, people who can turn a wheel. And for some reason, we even have uh, a former team principal. We have former uh, Lotus CEO Matthew Carter joining us. Uh, Good evening, Matthew. Good afternoon from Canada. Ah, yeah. So you are based in Canada now, but you were uh, in charge of Lotus F1 racing team. And for some reason, you come and slum it in my shed, for which we are eternally grateful. Yep. I was in charge of Lotus for uh, from 2013 till 2016 when we sold to Renault. And we have a very specific question about the Lotus 2015 car and its similarities to another car, which may be pertinent this week as the news stories evolve around F1 testing. But first, I'd love to tell you that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. So I think the first question is, and I will pose that to Chris, what can we actually tell from F1 testing? So if we look at testing as a whole, and we've gotten a real good look at it, can we tell anything? It's become very trendy to say, no, you can tell nothing from testing. Shut up, your opinion counts for nothing. Uh, I wouldn't say uh, nothing. Um, There are some small indications you can pick up. Obviously, the lap times are very difficult to look into. But uh, say the longer runs, for example, there's less room to hide there, for example. So you you could look at those times a little bit more closely. But the general impression is what we're getting out of, especially from the first week. And I think the first impression has to be holy reliability, Batman. These cars have been absolutely solid. I think it was like a day and a half before we had our first red flag. Yeah, it's rubbish, isn't it? Like what we want to see is we want to see four-time world champions with a power unit blowing up, getting out of the car and saying, I'm done for the day. But we, we haven't really had any of that drama. We're at the end of a development cycle and these teams have all turned up super professionally. They've all got their act together. The engines are running miles and miles. The drivers aren't binning it. It's all been incredibly professional. Uh, But Matthew Carter, uh, I guess the teams can tell a lot more than we can from testing. So whilst everyone says you can't tell anything from testing, up and down the paddock, they're getting a much better idea of, of what's going on. Yeah, to a certain extent. Um, I mean, my my testing was um, the very, very start of the hybrid era. So if you remember those testing sessions, they were a disaster. Everyone was breaking down left, right and centre. So we were learning for us, for sure. It was more about uh, reliability. It was more, it's more like an extended shakedown. You were testing all the systems to make sure they worked and testing to make sure that the car was going to be reliable rather than specifically trying to put pace onto the car. Um but yeah, no, it's um, you can tell we GPS all the other cars on the track as well. Certainly did it. We did it at Lotus. So you can tell uh-huh. what's more important really is how fast the cars are going through certain corners because you'll often see drivers go on a, a banzai of a quick lap and then they back off on the last corner so that they don't actually register a fast time. But if you if you look at the GPS, you can see what cars are, are running with big downforce and uh, and which cars aren't and which cars are struggling. So do you get that that feeling like if you've gone out and done 
TV days, you know, promo days, which are effectively testing days, aren't they? And then you, yep. you know, you've run like you guys did with your asymmetrical twin tusks and you go, oh, well, we've gained half a second here. You get to testing and suddenly go, like in this case, like the whole grid looks generally faster. Is there a sinking feeling when you realise, oh, everyone else has made progress as well? Yeah, a little bit. I think that the testing was more, you go through a checklist of making sure that, uh, making sure that everything is, is good, making sure that the car is, is going to be reliable. So it's more about doing that. And then if you want to put a quick lap in, um, which I would suggest is maybe what Kimmy did on the, did he not come fastest in the morning session on the third day? So I, we did that once with, uh, with Charles Peak. I had Charles Peak, and he was, he was desperately trying to get some sponsors to give him some backing. So we put him in the car and put a whiff of fuel in it and uh, the softest tires. And he set the fastest time in uh, pre-season testing. I think it was the, end, the second testing of 2014. So you can do it. You can, you can play with the figures a little bit, but uh, it's more about reliability. It's more about pounding around the track. Do you remember what sort of reaction Peak's time got? Because obviously it, mu- it must be quite amusing for the teams to see the, the media and the social media reaction. And you're there going, yeah, we, we know we fudged that. A little bit like Ocon going out on the softest tyres, that felt like a bit of a glory lap on day yeah, three. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I think you, everyone knows it. Um, the only people that we were really trying to pull the wool over their eyes was potential sponsors for Charles so that he could hold up the lap times and say, look, I was fastest in, in testing. So I don't think anyone in the pit lane is ever, is ever taken by surprise when someone goes on a, on a glory run like that. Well, Chris, you're our PR man. You would back me up in saying that the title or the, the, the tagline of this episode is Carter admits drivers pull wool over sponsors' eyes. Is that the kind of PR techniques that you you uh, green light? That's, uh, that's more of a journalism um, angle, which ah, I would I very quickly shut down as a PR. Well, I, from a PR point of view, though, for all the teams, uh, they all got out there. Interesting that Williams made a real point of being the first car out. Yeah, everyone's present and correct and running smoothly. And yeah, like you say, first car out, complete contrast to uh, 2019. And uh, it looks like, you know, Williams have made a step forward, but then so has everyone. I mean, I think we're saying that the Mercedes is one second faster than it was a year ago, which is, of course, you know, a, a year of development as well, but that it, a little bit extra from the, uh, from the off-season development. Okay, uh, Matthew, from a from a team principal point of view, is there is there pressure to be all positivity? So Williams have gone out there and they've really they were clearly hurting from last season and not getting a car on track in the first day or the first two days, I think, making that real on the nose. And they even admitted it. Claire Williams said, "No, that was a specific point we needed to make." Is there a pressure to go? Right, well, we must say to the board, to the sponsors, we are here and we mean business. Yeah, certainly after the um, the debacle of their testing last season. But we, I mean, and we had a similar thing at Lotus. We missed testing one year and then the following year, it was all about trying to prove that we were together and that we were ready and that we were a team and, and trying to send all those messages. And to a certain extent, you're trying to send those messages internally as well as externally. You're trying to tell the mechanics and the drivers and the, and the guys back at the factory that it's, it's worth putting some effort in this year because we're going to be more competitive. And if you went out on track and you could see the obvious signs that, oh, no, Oh no, no, it's not happening. Like, do you hide that or? Yeah, you have to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's all it's it's a it's a big PR game, and it's a big um, for the sponsors and for uh, for everyone involved. It's there's there's lots of money involved, so you need to uh, 
you need to put on a brave face and to uh, to try and show the best at all times. So uh, while while it's become kind of trendy to say you can't take any anything from the testing times, and we know that the teams are putting their best PR spin on, I think from like recent history we can start to piece together certain things like uh, Ferrari's week one testing time at Barcelona isn't a million miles away normally from their Q3 time uh, in the in the Grand Prix later in the season. So Ferrari have not tended to sandbag, you know, Chris. So we, we can tell that and we can tell through experience that Mercedes do tend to hold a little bit back. So their kind of average time between their fastest week one testing, and then when it's the Barcelona Grand Prix, it is a is over a second. So we we can kind of tell tell some stuff. Yeah, but then I think you know both teams have had a bit of a change in strategy um, this year. Ooh. Ferrari, especially, you know, they've been saying that they've been doing mostly high fuel runs and not you know, touching the the high power uh, modes. So definitely we have not seen the best of Ferrari. And uh-huh. if you're looking at the times and, you know, seeing their eighth in the day and they must be the eighth best team now, that's just not correct. No, I have it on good authority. And I, I don't know if the, uh, maybe I'm saying something obvious, but uh, occasionally people in the teams will talk to me. I'm, I'm very grateful for when they do that. Uh, I think they, they feel that if they talk to me and I say it here on a shed podcast, it's not likely to be believed or, or make great waves. Uh, that doesn't apply to you, Mr. Carter. Of course, uh, my phone basically died when you said about the secret Mercedes engine mode that Mercedes gave the Lotus team for Roman Grosjean. Um, however, yeah, so, so, you know, people do speak to me and, uh, I am informed that all three top teams were hiding their top speed on the straights, at least. Oh, of course. And they all came bottom of the speed trap. So I think we look at all three teams and say there's definitely more to come from them. Uh, unless anything is striking you as particularly ominous, Matthew? No, I don't think so. I think I think that that's that kind of bears bears fruit for what I've what I just said, which is that it's all about um, reliability and it's all about shaking the car and, and and pushing the limits of whatever you've done. So if they've tightened up their cooling and they want to they want to do some long runs to make sure they're not going to overheat, then this is the time to do it. Um, unequally with their new steering system. I guess this is about the first time really that the drivers can test it on track and can make sure they're comfortable with uh, with using it and, and they can have a look at the results with and without it and try and uh, see if it's making a difference. And in terms of that reliability, it's still Mercedes leading the way though, nearly 500 laps that they racked up in those three days, which is really impressive when you consider you know they've lost a whole day. So 25% of their testing time is gone, but the number of laps they've been able to do is is not 25% less. You know, the efficiency that they're running at is insane these days. It's incredible. But there's one thing I would say on that front is that, so when we had our deal with Mercedes, you only get so many engines across the season. And in the standard contract, we had, I think we had two test engines um, and you could only put so many miles on those test engines. So therefore, even if we'd wanted to run further, and I know Williams were in the same boat back in 2015, we couldn't do unless we supplied Mercedes with another couple of million dollars and uh, and took another testing engine okay. so we were slightly restricted so we we were getting a little bit frustrated back at lotus in the day when everyone was talking about how many laps mercedes were doing it was because they had access to unlimited engines and we were we were having to pay if we wanted another testing engine so that's interesting right because i have heard from a let's say a source close to williams because that's what everyone says uh, uh the they sent back a whole power unit in testing uh based on a water cooler fault which is all part of 
part of that big system. So essentially, they sent back the whole power unit because of a failure on one system. Does that mean that, you know, maybe there's a little bit more freedom now, uh, Matthew, that, that they can mix and match and that perhaps Mercedes are a bit more understanding with their customers? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I mean, all I can talk to is the is the the contract that we had in 2015, and that was very specific on the number of engines. Now, if there's a reliability failure, it's built into the contract. Obviously, that's not the customer's issue if the, if Mercedes engine lets go. Um, and again, this all comes back to engine modes and running in different engine modes because you run in the engine modes that you're told by the Mercedes engineers in the back of the garage. So, uh, to a certain extent, you you're in their hands. So if they decide that you need to run the engine a little bit turned down because there's some issues with it, then that's what you have to do. All right. Let's talk about DAS system that everyone's been talking about. We couldn't possibly kick off with any other topic than the Mercedes new super secret, uh, well, not so secret, uh, because they have to move their steering wheel back and forward, DAS system. Chris, lay it out for us. What is the system? that Mercedes are running. Yeah, it's been talked about enough over the uh, over the course of the week, but basically by moving the steering wheel back and forth, they are able to adjust the toe in and out of the front uh, wheels. And the benefit of, of this could be to, A, reduce drag on the straights, but also help cool the tyres. And uh, there are a lot of um, implications that can happen. I mean, over a single lap, uh, that we're going to see it make much difference. It seems to be the primary function is to prepare for quality laps and also help adjust the car over the course of a race stint. Uh, so oh, tires are getting a little bit hot. We'll just adjust the toe a little bit. I can cool them down a little bit more on uh, this straight. And, you know, it, it may not be so secret anymore, but they've been able to keep this under wraps since October. I know. That's interesting. Uh, Matthew, how hard is it to keep something like that secret from the rest of the paddock? Because surely they've got like spies in the garage or like a guy that used to work for Mercedes who's got mates. Yeah, it is. I mean, there's the, obviously as soon as you start doing it on on track and you're moving the steering wheel to the extent that they are, it was going to become obvious. Um, but yeah, no, it's fairly easy to keep things under wrap. I mean, they, there will have been a constant um, dialogue with the FIA to make sure that it was legal in the build up to it. Um, so the FIA will have known about it, but, um, I'm just not so sure they've been, they were so open to talk about it. I'm not sure whether or not, and I've, and I've seen this on, on social media. I'm not sure whether or not they're actually covering something else up because they were very, very open to come out and talk about it instantly and do a, do a big press conference and, and give it a name and, and et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So Chris has got something on this, but I, I'll do my theory first and see if it matches. My, my theory was that James Allison uh, he did a piece to camera, like a piece to a mobile phone explaining it. Uh, and Alex Van Jean explained that he just seemed so, so pleased with himself. So one of two things is true. Either they are really, really chuffed that they found something innovative or and fantastic, or they tried something, realized quite quickly that it wasn't doing a great deal for maximum pace, and they are delighted with the coverage it's getting because they're now hoping that it will stimulate other teams to spend a lot of time and money copying something that they know either doesn't do ultimate pace or has another purpose. So I agree in terms of the promotion they're getting out of this, because it is the story from the first week of testing. Uh, And I found Mercedes has often been a very open team. They're incredibly honest. You know, the whole thing that they do 
uh, on strategy after each race. They are so honest about it. It's really refreshing, but I feel like they're the only team in a position to actually get away with that kind of um, thing. Um, but I think the FIA, as soon as they found out about it, they said, you can have it for this year, but we're already going to write it into the 2021 regs that you cannot have it. The steering wheel cannot move back and forth. They can only go left and right. And so maybe they think that because they know it will take so long to develop for what they'll only get three months worth of racing a, you know, a, a game out of, there's no point in trying to copy it. So they can dangle it under everyone's noses knowing that they can't reach out and grab it. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think that's a really good point. But I think I also, and I also heard someone else talking about because the rules are fairly stable for this year, there's probably lots of things that have been shelved or ideas that have been put on the back burner that all of a sudden they've got some time freed up that they can have a go at. And Mercedes were, again, very honest about the other you know, innovative things they've got on the car, the whole new front suspension, the repackaging, this supposedly brilliant rear suspension that they've got going on that is revolutionary, more revolutionary than the DAS and, of course, the engine cooling changes that we mentioned in, in last week's show. So there is a lot of new stuff going on on that Mercedes. It's interesting, and it's not necessarily a completely out of the way. I mean, back in Lotus, we had... I remember there were three innovative ideas that we were trying to get through constantly. And one of them was very similar, really. And it was to try and get uh, the wheels to turn at a different angle in uh, slow speed corners. So the outside wheel wouldn't turn as sharply as the inside wheel. So therefore, you wouldn't, it wouldn't be so very similar. It wouldn't be scrubbing as much. It wouldn't be wearing the tire as much. And we, I mean, we were massively less resources than Mercedes-Benz, but we just couldn't get it to work. We couldn't, we couldn't get it to work reliably on the car. Uh, interesting you say about uh, basically affecting the steering there's two there's two kind of angles to this which is uh, a you know what are they actually trying to do and what is the objection of the team so uh, you know a lot that there was a lot of reaction from the the Renault guys in particular you know jumping up and down saying how can this be legal and I think it kind of hinges around are they changing the suspension or are they changing the steering so I, I, I guess Matthew you You'll have some perspective on this. Uh, it looks to me like they are changing the steering, not the perspective, exactly. and uh, not the not the suspension. So there's nothing in the rules that says the steering has to be done specifically by by turning the wheel uh, in the rotational axis. Well, there is for next year. Ah, there is for that's next exactly year. what they've changed. Right, that's exactly that's what they've fantastic. changed to say for next year. Yeah, but no, that, that I think that is the whole point. I think if it, if they were adjusting the suspension. If the driver was had, was making changes that were adjusting the suspension, completely illegal, and then and they're not doing that. They're they're clearly it's the the toe in to toe out that they're changing. So they're effectively bringing the wheels together in a straight line, um, because the wheels always need to be a little bit toe out when you come into the corners to give more stability on turning, um, and and they won't they will never give up that. So they'll never put the wheels in a straight line all the way around because they'll just lose the turning completely. Um, so so yeah, I mean there's there's that, and then the other once they basically made it obvious that they were only affecting the steering. The only other call that I think, the only other complaint that could come from other teams would be if the ride height was being changed. So if by changing that, the, the, the suspension or the steering or whatever, you were affecting the ride height of the car, then I think they could claim that that was illegal. But I think that Mercedes have proven that they're not. It's, it's literally just the steering. Okay, so what I've heard from a, an engineer in a midfield team and this is, this is what they've said to me. I'm just going to quote the message that I got. 
Uh, and hopefully that doesn't <laughs> that doesn't out the individual. Uh, they've said, from what we understand, because everyone's looking at this and basically saying, well, that's it. Mercedes have won a, a uh, you know a seventh world championship title. Hamilton's going to win this year. The, the message I got was, from what we understand, the DAS system on the Merc is only really beneficial for tyre preparation and temperature control. So it will help them for qualifying preparation and safety car research, uh, restarts. We aren't overly concerned about it. So that's the message I've got, Chris. Now, in qualifying, there's lots of circumstances where uh, they they are overheating the tyres in quali before they get to the lap, uh, and they're having to really go super slow on that outlap. Yeah. Uh, so in this situation, uh, Mercedes could either tow in or tow out. I, I'm not going to pretend to understand what those two <laughs> things do, uh, but to keep the temperatures down, um, also then they can generate more heat, uh, I think by doing more tow in, I guess, uh, more, you're effectively scrubbing the tires if you tow in, aren't you? Yeah. So you can go around with a bit more tow in, get your, your tires nice and hot, ready to go. So if, if that's true, I mean, there's already a qualifying advantage that Mercedes have to uh, overcome to Ferrari. You could argue Ferrari have been a much stronger qualifying team. So this isn't going to be something that is going to make them go 30 seconds off into the distance. It depends. I mean, certainly in qualifying, it, it can be a huge advantage, especially because we know these Pirelli tyres can be quite fickle with their operating windows. I think it was Hamilton in Australia a couple of years ago, uh, did his first run in Q3, was very, very close to you know missing out on provisional pole, nails the tyre prep on his second run, and suddenly finds six tenths simply because of the preparation done on his outlap. So it's a really, really crucial aspect. Jolian Palmer claimed that around Monza, it would maybe be worth half a tenth of a second. So it's not doing much in terms of all-out lap time. What it's doing is is the preparation of the tyre, but also trying to help in the longevity of a stint. So not necessarily extending the life of the tyre, but its performance uh, and can over I just a say, long period like we, of time. We've heard a lot from Jolie and Palmer over the testing period. And I'm not saying this, I'm not making any comment on the Sky commentary team. I think the production is slick. But having Jolie and Palmer there, who has literally driven this era of car and can tell you what it's like from a driver point of view, and having someone who is able to articulate it as well as Jolie can has been massively beneficial to to the listenership. Uh, Matthew, was, was Jolien one of your drivers? Was he your reserve driver? He was, yeah. yeah. Mm, yeah. And I signed, and the contract for him to drive in 2016 was uh, was a contract that me and his father actually did. Excellent. So when, Renault, so when Renault bought the team, they adopted him as one of the drivers. One of the things we always get from him, if you were to be unkind and say maybe he lacked the ultimate pace of some of the top drivers... It does seem from his analysis that he, that he would be the kind of person you could uh, get good feedback from, that you could articulate with what was going on in the car. He, he definitely seems like a an intelligent driver, if nothing else. Very, very much so, yeah. And he was also, he would actually, when he was third driver, rather than just sitting and, uh, and acting bored in the paddock, he actually used to um, run his own race strategies. Wow. So he used to sit down and he used to go to all the strategy meetings before and then he used to sit in the background and run his own strategy and work out what he would have done different and, and how he would have done things differently. And of course, that was all just after he won the GP2 um, title. 
Yeah. And probably those aspects were a big part in in what you uh, what you're able to do out on track. Of course, it's a spec series, so you have to find any advantage you can. And I don't think there are many drivers who work who worked, I should say, as hard as as Jolien did. Yeah, well, hundred percent. Well, we have questions from Twitter, and let's go to some of them now. Okay, I'll admit it, that is mostly to demonstrate to the live stream that I have fixed the in-stream bumpers, so big pat on the back to me. Uh, thank you for everybody who follows us on Twitter, at MissedApexF1, me at SpannersReady, and uh, the people who are in our Facebook group, search for Missed Apex Podcast on Facebook. If you want to know when the next shows are coming up, I have, at least for now, updated them on the homepage. So you can go to MissedApexPodcast.com, and you can see when the next shows uh, are and when whether or not they're going to be live streamed. So we got a question from Kevin Lee uh, at Lee Kawan, who says to you specifically, Matthew, um, was the 2015 Lotus similarly designed under the same philosophy as the 2020 Racing Point, i.e. copying Mercedes? I seem to remember that car being quite similar to the 2015 Mercedes? No, is the short answer. Um, I mean, when you when you take an engine from a manufacturer, obviously suspension pickup points and engine mounting points and cooling, et cetera, is all going to be fairly similar because you're kind of guided by what the, the tolerances and, and the variables that that engine has itself. So you're always going to have sort of some similarities. But no, we, we very much designed the Lotus ourselves. Um, it was an evolution of the 2014 car, albeit uh, the 2014 car was a Renault engine and this was a Mercedes engine. The difference with um, Racing Point and Mercedes is that Mercedes, for the first time ever, have allowed Racing Point to use their wind tunnel. Um, so it's the first time they've opened up their wind tunnel to somebody for somebody else to use. And, Is that right? and this speaks of some sort of weird bromance between Lawrence Stroll and Toto Wolff. Oh, see, there was loads of rumours, wasn't there, about uh, Mercedes leaving F1. Uh, we think those are probably incorrect. But in those rumours, it was going to be a Stroll consortium uh, under Aston Martin taking over Brackley and Toto Wolff being at the head of that. So there was kind of, there's a little bit of smoke there and you're saying there might be a little bit of a fire burning under it there is a relationship between wolf and the stroll megacorp there's, there's definitely a relationship there um as for mercedes point out of f1 i don't think that's going to happen i know that toto has been told to make mercedes benz um f1 team stand on its own two feet financially um so i know he's been i don't know what the timelines are but i know that daimler have basically said you know that we've uh We've got you to where you are now. Now it needs to start standing on its own two feet in terms of um, sponsorship and, uh, and obviously prize money. They're doing they're doing very well with. Um, but no, as far as Lawrence and uh, and Toto, I think it's a smart move by Lawrence. I think he's he's obviously realised that Mercedes are the are the, are the leading uh, team by some considerable margin. Yeah. Bear in mind, Lawrence used to have a very very strong relationship with Ferrari. So Lance was a junior Ferrari driver. Lawrence Stroll owns the Ferrari dealership here in uh, in Montreal, actually. Um, and has a collection of very, very expensive old Ferraris. But he's obviously realised that Mercedes are the team to go with, and, and he's, tried to, try, he's tried to go with as much as possible. Um, and the big step, from my point of view, is using that wind tunnel 
um, at, uh, at Mercedes-Benz. Okay, Chris, I'm just going to get you to hold that thought for a second because there's a, there's a slightly bigger story here that I'm going to try and scrape the surface of. Right, so Racing Lines and Dieter Renkin came out with the Mercedes are going to quit F1 story. That was uh, poo-pooed uh, completely and, and they came under quite a lot of fire from the internet for being completely wrong. And for and and I think we we said, oh well, you yeah, know, that story obviously had nothing to it. But if you're saying that recently uh, Mercedes as a whole, uh, is it Daimler? Is that the the bigger firm? Yeah. Uh, have yeah. said to the F1 team, okay, but you have to be financially independent, or presumably there's an or else, or else we won't support you anymore. Then actually, that that racing line story, that's not that ridiculous. They were actively discussing the future of Mercedes F1 team. Yeah, I think that there's always nuances to every story and uh I don't I don't for a minute think that Mercedes-Benz would walk away. Um I just think that they may be the level of commitment or the level of financial support that they're giving to the to the F1 team, maybe they're not prepared to give that level of financial commitment going forward. Well, of course, Toto Wolff was saying, you know, Dana are going to start giving a little bit less to the F1 team. And suddenly, you know, why Enios, uh, the new partner on the Mercedes, is uh, giving so much money in this partnership suddenly makes uh, a lot of sense. Uh, But for, you know, Racing Point as well, it makes sense to be following the aero concept of the suppliers of their power unit and gearbox, which they previously have not been doing. It's always been a compromised car. But because they haven't necessarily had all the funds to to, to just go and, and scrap their concept and try and do something different, uh, they, they've just kind of stuck with it. Now they do have those funds. So we're starting to see the benefit of the Stroll Consortium. Oh, okay, Absolutely. so, so we are going kind of back and forth, but I want to see, do you have any insight? Is that, is as Chris says, that is it Ineos uh, sponsorship? Yep. Is that related to the F1 Mercedes outfit? standing on its own two feet of course yeah 100 percent. i mean that that's all part and parcel of it and and i would say to a certain extent the the agreement with racing point is as well because lawrence stroll oh. isn't getting that for free okay right so, toto's what? obviously seen toto's obviously seen this multi this billionaire coming into the sport who takes one of their engines and he's obviously they've negotiated between them you know lawrence isn't getting all that information for free so Again, it's all going to be part and parcel of Toto's financial plan, I would oh, say. Yeah, I can tell you the discussions I've been having all week, and there are people who are absolutely certain. They say, well, no, look, there can't be information passed off. You can't just buy the designs and the IP of a race car. I, I believe that not to be the case. I, I think you can sell a previous car's design. I think one, but, but you have to be the only team that has it, so they couldn't sell it to two teams. Now, you've just said the deal uh, with the Stroll guys as if that's common knowledge. I don't think that is common knowledge, Mr. Carter. Are you saying that it is your belief that Racing Point have an agreement with Mercedes for the IP of the 2019 Mercedes car? Because it looks incredibly similar. That's not what I said. I said that there's a deal between Stroll and Mercedes to maximise the partnership. Now, it's... uh, similar to Haas and Ferrari, I guess, to a certain extent, whereby they're going to select as many of the, uh, as the, li- of the listed parts as they can um, and try and maximize that. And it makes perfect sense. Now, whether or not Mercedes have actually sold the IP to their last year's car, um, I couldn't possibly comment. Um, I know when Haas and Ferrari were using the same wind tunnel, there was lots of claims of uh, 
drawings and models being left behind when Ferrari had left before Haas entered. So uh, let's assume that some of the some similar goings on could be happening down at Brackley. Uh, claims also that they were sharing data, which is, of course, um, illegal in Formula One. And uh, such claims were made by, of all people, Racing, Racing Point. Point at the time, Force India. So it's it's funny how the world works. Okay, so I, I want to I wanna make some slight difference. The, the comparison is an obvious one between the Haas-Ferrari partnership and the Racing Point-Mercedes partnership. So on one hand, you would say with Racing Point, what's the big deal? Uh, we've had Toro Rosso, now called Alpha, who have for years and years had this relationship with Red Bull and have in fact run something very, very close to a previous year's Red Bull. However, with the Haas model, I always got the feeling that Gene Haas was coming in as a privateer team, trying to do their own thing, trying to have their own aero, mechanical and race philosophy. However having a technical partnership with Ferrari, use their wind tunnel, uh, get some of their expertise. And there was some hints that there might be some Ferrari personnel, personnel that would have gardening leave, uh, wear Haas colours, uh, contribute to the team. But I still felt that the Ferrari guys were contributing to the Haas car, the Haas model. The big difference here, Matthew, is that Racing Point have 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 invoked something much more along the lines of a customer team. So whilst Haas got technical expertise and made their own car, it looks a lot more like uh, Racing Point have almost bought a car from the world champions. And I think that's what's getting under people's skin. And that is the big difference. Yeah. And, and the, the other big difference, to be, to be blunt with the Ferrari Haas thing, was it was actually the other way around. What people were complaining about was that um, that Ferrari would get an extra wind tunnel time on their own car. Oh, yes. So they were using Haas's wind, wind tunnel time to develop the Ferrari um, under some sort of an agreement with Haas. And the um, the mythical swapping of uh, the Ferrari guys spending five hours in the wind tunnel and then just swapping shirts and putting a Haas shirt on and continuing to work on the same projects were the, were the theories that were banded around so that Ferrari was using Haas's wind tunnel time to benefit itself. With regard to Mercedes and, and Racing Point, yeah, I think it's I think it's just a clever agreement that they've come to. That um, Lawrence Stroll's got a lot of money. Toto maybe needs to find some money, and they've come to an agreement that suits both sides. Uh, Chris, the chat room, Michael Dustelhoff. Hello to our chat room. Uh, you can join us in the chat by going to YouTube and searching for Mistake Apex Podcast. You can chat when we record this live. Michael Dustelhoff has called it Tracing Point. And it says, Tracing Point looks like it's been a W10 from the start, Chris. That's a good contender for comment. It's a good pun. No, week, puns yeah. can't win unless Nick Alexander is on the panel. That's that's no, the rule. Uh, tough. I'm going to nominate it anyway. I will uh, not win. Okay, dear, fine. Uh, everyone else seems to love it, though. Um, in defense of Racing Point, the theory is that still the chassis, the suspension, the mechanical side of things is still made by Racing Point. So it seems to be more of an aero concept that they've okay. taken um, from Mercedes. And you know, if people don't like customer cars, then, I don't know, maybe don't watch MotoGP because 90% of the bikes in, in that field are customer bikes, okay, i.e. Uh, a year-old Yamaha. I, I just want to take this opportunity to echo that. Don't watch MotoGP. It's motorbikes, which are rich, witchcraft. They should fall down. And the track is 18 times as wide as the vehicle. That's brilliant, though. It's just brilliant. I don't think it's, I don't think it's real. There we go. That's, that's all I'm going to say. Oh, Matthew Carter, uh, 
people do get upset with the the idea of customer teams because they feel it might be a, a step towards a spec series and that that somehow interferes, I don't know, with the spirit of F1, but isn't it really, isn't it harking back to the olden days where a, a millionaire could basically buy his kid last year's Ferrari and just go racing for an affordable amount? It is, but uh, but F1 is much, much more uh, complicated than that these, these days. And I think you're going to see that this year with the racing point because um, I don't suspect they're going to be troubling the top three or even the top four, I wouldn't have thought this year. You don't? No. What's going what's gonna to hold them back? If they've got, is it just because the rest of the field has moved forward? Yeah, the rest of the field's moved forward. The rest of the field has better drivers, has better um, mechanics. Then Perez, how dare you? <laughs> better mechanics, better engineers, better strategists, et cetera, et cetera. I have a stat for you on Perez, actually. That, uh, is, in, it, is it about his podiums from outside of the top three teams? Because that's a good stat. No, it's actually in two seasons, he risks beating to Chesaris's record of most starts without a win. No, I don't. I don't think he does because I disagree with Mr. Carter. I don't think I think that, you know, you can tell some stuff from testing. And I think what testing has shown is that Racing Point has taken a step forward. Surely we're all in agreement there. Yes. Right, step forward in the midfield, but are they suddenly then going to be troubling the top three teams? There's no way they're going to make that big of a leap, any of those teams. Matthew, you're shaking your head, so you're going to break my my Perez dreams as well of a, of a maiden win. Well, there's no, nothing to say you couldn't get a maiden win, but it would just mean that the Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bulls would have had to have a huge accident involving all nine cars. <laughs> okay, yeah, I guess you, you're describing Stroll's Stroll's first podium, uh, essentially. <laughs> True, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's an interesting model. I, I think that it's, at the moment, it's Schrodinger's, uh, it's Schrodinger's uh, copycat performance. So it is both a genius move and also a step backwards because it's a genius move if they turn up in Australia and last year's Mercedes is actually good enough to put them in the mix in the top three. Or they could turn up and show that they're still in the midfield, which shows that this concept is not a good idea. It's not a good idea to go and get the previous year's championship winning car because it's not going to do anything because the whole field will have evolved away. Well, yeah, look at it this way. They will still be a second away from Mercedes because that car is one second a lap quicker. And also, as Chris said, it's not last year's Mercedes because what's, what's underneath has to be different. The chassis and the suspension and all the listed parts have to be have to be made by Racing Point. They can't just buy those in. They can look at designs and they can attempt to copy, but it's never going to be exactly the same car. And Mr. Carter, let's end this Racing Point discussion. One question. That car is so close on the surface to last year's Mercedes. Could they possibly have done it with tracing paper and screenshots from Sky Sports? No. No. A little louder, maybe into the bike. No, they couldn't have done it with tracing paper. I, f- I feel like there's a great opportunity for a Top Gear reference where some say it's a pink Mercedes. <laughs> it's not the W10, but it is the W10's pink cousin. Or you could say this is not the greatest car in the world. It is. No. <laughs> it is a tribute. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips and adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at MintMobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Thanks very much for tuning in to Missed Apex Podcast. I just want to take a second to address some of the fantastic feedback we've had over the last few weeks. I can't believe how many people have tuned in for the off-season. It's much, much higher than last season. And in fact, our our off-season Sunday shows are equaling our mid-season non-race reviews. So it's been fantastic to see our audience growing, even over the off-season. A lot of podcasts kind of park up. But we've made it, we've made it our thing here at Missed Apex Podcast to just keep pushing on through the off season. Uh, I have to say, uh, we've had some great iTunes reviews. We have quite a few negative ones. We do have our share of one star reviews and most of the one star reviews are people taking personal issue with me. So there's quite a few that say, Oh, you know what? If it wasn't for spanners, this would be an absolutely brilliant podcast. Uh, terrible news for those people. I think it is It is predominantly a show that I'm, I'm on a lot. I produce it, and I, I have to be honest with you guys. If you find me annoying, I don't have another gear. This is not an act. This is not a cultured TV personality. This is actually me. And uh, a, couple of, uh, a couple of iTunes reviews. Uh, a very approachable podcast says uh, Audio0903. Uh, very approachable for new and seasoned formula one fans alike and that is something we actively go for so whilst you have matt that gets really down into the weeds i do try and play my natural useful idiot role 
uh, and try and make it. If there's anything that, that seems like someone wouldn't understand it, I point it out and say, stop, can we explain that? So I'm very happy with that. The team at Missed Apex strike the right balance between light-hearted commentary on all things F1, whilst also providing in-depth uh, and expert analysis. Well, none of the expert analysis comes from me. We ship that in. Uh, one more. Uh, I've been listening to you guys for years, and you are my first choice F1 podcast, well-produced and presented. Thank you very much. Spanners and Matt do an excellent job with their co-hosts, and now he has a gripe, and he's taken off one star here, has Vegetable Man on his iTunes review. He's taken off one star because he says, my one gripe is not all of your panellists share the same audio quality. And I know that's something that you can't control, but it's something that affects my listening. Please keep improving and keep it up. Four stars. Let's pretend for a hot second that I'm completely fine with a four-star review, and I think that's a fair and balanced way to to do iTunes reviews. Uh, I'll take issue with that. We do have control. We do have control of the panellists' audio to a certain extent because we have Patreon support. So recently, uh, we pointed out that Jeansy's, Van Jean's audio was a little thin because he was using, and I'll show the live stream, he was using this mic, which is from Maplin's, rest in peace. It's a pro sound, and it was 30 quid, and it got him going on his podcast journey. I said... If we got five new $5 patrons, we would buy him a decent mic. We got 10. We got 10 in the first three days. So you guys responded, and I shipped out a Rode Procaster to Alex. So when you see him or when you hear him next, his mic headbutts will sound a lot deeper and bassier and more fantastic. And that is the kind of thing you guys can affect. So please do support us by going to patreon.com forward slash missed apex uh right on with the testing review my guess we should talk about ferrari at some point uh chris ferrari have kind of they've turned up they've not set the world on fire and had they not said anything we might have gone okay this is just normal you know testing you can't tell anything from it but a team that is not known for sandbagging or playing down their chances. In fact, the opposite, a team that is known for building everything up and trying to raise the spirits of the Tifosi and the Ferrari board have just waved the right, the white flag so far and said, we're behind. We're behind the top teams. And they've, they've effectively said, we're not on championship pace. Very honest of um, Matteo Benotto. Or is it? Um, well, what? Yes. It, it just is um, because you know, they, they say they've gone with a, a different strategy this year in terms of their testing. You know, last year they went all out on the, on the times and uh, then they get to Oz and they're, they're not you know, the leaders. Uh, and, you know, as, as Matthew alluded to earlier, you know, you can go for the glory run um, as it were, not that that's you know, necessarily what they were doing, but maybe they were chasing the pace a little bit too hard. Whereas, you know, this year they've gone for uh, longevity. You know the the longer runs uh, with the higher fuel mode. Uh, sorry, the higher fuel loads and the lower power modes, and not necessarily you know gunning for the uh, for the all out pace. That seems to be the general um, consensus. It's a bit of you know topsy turvy between Mercedes and Ferrari compared to what happened last year. Yeah, but Matthew, they look they look slow, and they're saying they're slow. They are, but then they have clearly got the engine turned down because their customer teams are going faster than them in a straight line. And that's that would never happen. They would never allow that to happen. 
the Haas actually topped the speed trap 330 just over uh, KPH. And, you know, so they may be lacking things in the corners a little bit. The trouble they will have this year is they've got two fewer testing days to get on top of that. You know, whereas when Mercedes uh, last year had a few issues in the first test, they were able to really quickly turn it around. Uh, and where I, 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 don't, I don't really see Ferrari being able to replicate that. They may get close, but I don't think they're going to replicate that. But if, for example, they know that they've got the top, the, the, the speed on the straights, and the Haas demonstrates that, then maybe they're putting all their focus into the into the corners. Maybe they're putting all their focus into into building up the downforce, and therefore they can almost not write off the first three days, but they can say, okay, we know we've got the top line speed, so we'll keep our engine turned down, and we'll just focus on making sure we've got the traction and the stability in the slow corners and the and the mid to slow corners. Yeah, and that's been another change in philosophy this year. You know, where they're they're adding on the downforce rather than the the slippery design that they had last year. Um, that they could have won so many more um, races with. But yet we've seen a lot of teams in the past have really weak testing and then they turn up to Oz and everything's fine. McLaren in 2011, prime example, nowhere with the exhaust blown diffuser during preseason testing, but then bang, front row of the grid in uh, Melbourne, if I remember rightly. Um, I don't think the, the positive noises coming out of Mercedes and Red Bull especially is, is helping that image because all the trackside experts are saying that Mercedes looks damn quick. That Red Bull in the corners looks mega. So, oh, uh, so f- from Red Bull uh, again, I, I I haven't been following the news maybe as closely as I should, so I don't know if this is common knowledge. Uh, Red Bull were on a massive hype train uh, before testing, so they said that you know they they were really happy about the front end, and then we've got this like super duper wing thing on the back. They they are apparently flat out in turn three which is the increasing radius uphill, uphilly one, and turn nine, which is generally up Are you laughing at my, my, my technical description of turn yes. three? And also turn nine, which I believe is the, is the, the right-hander, which if you don't have sufficient downforce, you risk you know, going out onto the edge before the, the sharp hairpin on turn 10. But I think most teams, in a race run, that's a different story because doing it flat out in a race run is quite impressive. But I think most teams are very comfortably taking those corners flat out, if not all of them, um, actually, because these guys are just so damn fast these days. If anybody watched the onboard lap from from Lewis Hamilton from the first day of testing, my first thought was this audio is way out of sync. There's no way he is breaking that late and that deep into the corner, but they are. I just, I wanted to sort of um, tangent slightly and ask Mr. Carter about uh, board pressure. So Ferrari, I, I've always got the feeling with Ferrari uh, traditionally, like especially with Ariba Vene and Dominicali, that they were under a huge amount of pressure. Like those guys seemed so stressed all the time and they always had to put this shiny, bright face on. With Bonotto coming out, pre-season and saying actually it's not going well and we're going to do our best and we're going to try and fix it that seems like such a departure from a ferrari team principle that that could it be that the culture at ferrari is just generally improving or or that he doesn't care about his job i I don't know it just seems very different yeah i I don't know either i mean it it is definitely a different approach um and i'm not sure it's so much well it it obviously is the ferrari board but it's also the italians i think the 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 italian culture and the way that the the tifosi are and the way that the the media and the press are they're so hard on ferrari 
um, and they and they push them so hard that um, maybe it's a different tack. Maybe Bonotto has thought, okay, well, you know, I'm going to look at this from a different. Let's let's set the bar low, and then we can we can only overachieve. Um, I mean, fingers crossed it works out for him. But uh, yeah, as you say, it doesn't uh, it doesn't look good at the moment. It's the only team that has kind of negative tones after the Ooh. first test really isn't it because mm. so far everyone has been pretty positive you know even williams and even uh, you know renault had a pretty good start to that and their car looks fantastic as well it's a shame it's only a pre-season livery right. i tell you what have we had enough of ferrari have we have we run our course with ferrari because because uh renault yeah. was the next team i, I, I was going to go to generally i would describe renault as everyone's 10th favorite f1 team were it not for Daniel Ricciardo, I would have said that they are the other team making negative noises. I, I don't know if I've in, you know made that up in my head, uh, but Matthew, I think a lot of that is coming from Ricciardo himself. Yeah, he, uh, the, the the F1 comm team were talking about him seeming down. Um, there was a lot of negativity from the Renault team when they saw the the, the steering system for Mercedes. They just seem like a team under pressure, and it just feels like. I mean, I put out a bit of a cheeky tweet earlier in the earlier in the week. I said, "Where where do you predict Renault will finish this season? Fifth, sixth, seventh, or or eighth? That is the other team apart from Ferrari where I'm seeing negativity." But didn't Joe Saywood reply to your tweet and say fourth? Mister Joe Saywood been to every race, knows what he's talking about. Okay, so Joe. Did not get the joke at all. <laughs> I get the feeling he didn't get the joke. And Joe, and Joe is one of these who who really wants to push the uh, you can't tell anything from testing. And I get that, and I fully respect that. Don't quite agree. I think you can get some things from testing, especially kind of morale. Uh, and now I'm not. I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm sure you're. You're possibly not invited to the Renault Christmas parties. Um, but you know, we can get a sense from them that the heads are down a bit. Yeah, no, they definitely are. I mean, I mean Christmas parties is, is is one thing, but when I do go to the races, certainly the uh, the guys there um, are, are very welcoming to me. Um, maybe not the very senior management, because as we've talked about before, they were the people that I had to negotiate our <laughs> uh, our break in the engine contract with quite aggressively, and then and you uh, had a full in, fist fight with Cyril at Bitabu, so you know exactly. A, a, a um, cage, and then a year later, fight. I had to try and negotiate with them to uh, to buy the team back. So uh, yeah, maybe not the the senior management's best um, best fan. But in terms of where they're at, they are clearly a way away from where they where they set themselves to be. So they gave themselves this three, five, ten year plan, and um, and yeah, they, they they were supposed to last season be. I think last season they were supposed to be in the top three, and this season um, competing for um, a world championship, and they're clearly. A long way away from that. I mean, the the last podium that team had was was Roman Grosjean in Spa with the uh, increased Mercedes engine mode. So um, yeah, so they're 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 definitely a long way from where they should be, and and you know there there must be a certain amount of pressure because Renault have piled a hell of a lot of cash into that place. I saw um, Esteban Ocon I went back there for the first time since. So he was our. He wasn't our reserve driver, but I think he was our, I can't remember, development driver or sim driver, whatever we called him back in 2014 and 15. And um, and he went back to Enstone for the first time um, and said that the place is unrecognizable, that they've they've developed and, you know, where the front office used to be, there's now a cafeteria and where, you know, it's just completely different. So for sure, there's got to be pressure from the senior senior management. And uh, and yeah, at the moment, it would look as if they're uh, they're underachieving. There, there is 
stuff you can tell from testing spanners. I think morale is a really good point as well. And and there are other aspects you know to it. When I was a Formula E journalist, I didn't just go to preseason testing for the fun of it. I was there to learn, um, not least about the new cars. And in that paddock, you know, did you find that they were less guarded, perhaps when they felt like you know the cameras weren't on them, and it was just a journalist with a microphone? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I would say that's actually probably a downside of uh, testing being broadcast is that suddenly it becomes an official thing and everything has to become a lot well, more secret. Yeah, because but but testing it, generally has yeah. a chill vibe. Yeah, but the the feeling we are getting from the likes of like you know I'm not specifically saying Medland has said anything bad about Renault, but when you you know when you hear like Buxton and Palmer expressing an opinion about the morale at Renault, that hasn't come from nowhere. That's because, like you, they've been wandering around, you know, you know, getting the feel of stuff. Uh, one of the m- most most interesting uh, talking points from Renault has been the attitude of, of Ricciardo himself. So, obviously, there's the now famous comment of him saying, I'm taking phone calls for other teams. That's not useful. That's not useful at all pre-season. What was more interesting was his real praise of Mercedes. Now, he's known for being a cheeky chap, taking a bit of a stab at people, took a stab at the other drivers, copying his helmet releases on Twitter, which was very, very funny. Um, But for him to just come out, and it was like a heartfelt, from the gut speech of, You've got to admire Mercedes. They're brilliant, and I and I really hear they're lacking some Antipodean uh, influence in their in their well, test you, driving you ha- regime. You have to assume that he was given all sorts of promises by Renault, because that was one hell of a jump to go from Red Bull to 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 Renault. He must have been given some some sort of assurances that you know this is where we're at, this is where we're heading. Look at these amazing numbers that we're getting from our wind tunnel, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and you know he's been there for a, for a season now, and he's and he's realised maybe that they're not everything that they said they were going to be. See, it's funny when you have Esteban Ocon, who's at the other end of that scale, actually, and the one booting the positivity out of um, Renault in that. But it, it's really good in in those situations. Yeah, you know, if you if you know a driver very well, and suddenly you know you know the what they're doing and what, how they're acting, especially you know interpretation is a huge part of how to judge. Uh, a team, especially in preseason testing. Uh, when I went to Valencia for um, for formally testing before season five, um, I was talking to one particular driver, and uh, as soon as the conversation ended, uh, I thought to myself, "Well, they're going to be struggling to score points this year, and that's just going to be a basic fact." Uh, so I'm getting a little bit of a uh, grief in the chat room from John Walker. Hello, John. Thanks for joining us live. Uh, that pronouncing my uh, Ricardo's name wrong is not funny. Like, I have been trying since 2020. That was one of my New Year's resolutions. I will say Ricardo, but you will join me in saying Fettel and and Leclerc because that's how he said to say it. And of course, Esteban Ocon, which is the very correct way to say his name. Uh, we have to remember that we have a very talented driver rejoining the grid. And I, I think, Matthew, that Daniel Ricciardo, and I said it right, I did. I think Daniel Ricciardo is in genuine danger of being shown up by what was essentially a rookie that's been forced to sideline for a year. And I know there's a lot of Aussie fans out there who love Ricciardo, but I think especially in qualifying after the first few races, I, I think he's vulnerable. Yeah, and, and Esteban is a very, very good race driver. Um, you know, I, I know that this riles up your, uh, 
your your viewers, but he uh, him and Max Verstappen had a real toe to toe in F three, and uh, and Esteban beat him. Um, but you know, and, and that was prior to him coming to to us as our reserve driver or, or um, development driver. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think I think so. Ricardo, you've you've seen Ocon like, is, up close. You're allowed to say Ricciardo and Ricardo, by the way. Oh, okay. I'm I mean, he admits that. So his name is actually <laughs> Ricciardo, but when he came to Europe, he started pronouncing it Ricardo because it was easier. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I know Esteban really well. Oh, um, today? He, uh, yeah. So we signed him and I know, you know, I was, I was part and parcel of him moving to Mercedes with his, with his manager. And uh, that was, uh, if you remember, that was where my, uh, my positivity around him getting the Mercedes seat as opposed to Valtteri yes. came from. Well, so, uh, to be um, fair, to be Esteban. fair, you said that he had an F1 seat before yep. 2020. That, and that's the yep. only fact you said. You said, I am sure he is sorted for an F1 2020 seat. You yep. then... And this is the danger of saying stuff on a mic. You then said, and 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 in my opinion, uh, Mercedes is probably the most likely destination. Of course, what yeah. went through to the internet was Matthew Carter confirms Ocon to Mercedes 2020. But you were right. He had his 2020 F1 seat sorted. And I still think that he should have gone to Mercedes. I think Mercedes should have taken him over Valtteri. And just in saying that, or even in the fact that Toto was considering, shows that he is a great driver. So I think uh, I think Daniel um, is going to have his work out this year, especially if that car is not as planted and as uh, as as on the money as as he's expecting it to be. Then he's only really got uh, Esteban to compete against. So I I agree to an extent. Um, no one is as on board the Esteban Ocon hype train as as I am, <laughs> but uh, I do think he will struggle in the first few races especially to match Daniel, especially because um, Daniel was, was able to just come in so quickly and, and get on the pace straight away compared to Nico Hulkenberg. Um, and as, as much as he's you know, learned in a year off, um, he won't lose that speed for sure. Not in a year anyway. Um, but I think just, just embedding himself in, in the team, you know, Ricardo's already set up there. That's his team um, now. In the second half of the season, I would expect it to be much, much closer but i think it would take a good day for ocon to outright beat ricardo i i, I think uh, matthew you know ocon like up front it, it might seem like i'm giving ricciardo a hard time i love the bloke i think he's been brilliant for f1 i think he's a fantastic racer my my suspicion is if you give ocon the same experience as ricciardo now i i just think overall o- ocon has got the the, the more out and out pedigree pace to be, I mean, I, and I hate to upset our Australian listeners at all. I just, I just think Ocon is is just that little feather above. Is that is that fair? Honestly, I don't know. I mean, until you see the two of them in the same car, it's hard to say. I mean, Ricciardo is an incredible driver, um, and Esteban is as well. Esteban is very, very naturally talented, um, and I think that's what's going to show through. You know, he's 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 a very quick race driver, and he came from you know his roots were we're very, very humble. Um, and he got, he got to where he's got by being a very, very quick race driver. So, you know, a driver is talented when they make it to F1, when he comes from the, the, the background that Esteban, um, does. I think when they, when they both arrived in Formula One, they both had the same sort of level of potential and, and Daniel still had really big potential, uh, before Max Verstappen arrived at, uh, at Red Bull. And, um, since then it's kind of slowly been diminishing and, and now he's moved to Renault and that potential is just kind of shrinking even more, unfortunately, because we can't 
see the scenario where Renault make the jump in the next couple of years to um, to the front of the field, whereas Esteban still has a very long um, career ahead of him. And, you know, a, a Mercedes seat is not out of the question at all. So is it no, fair, it's fair to say, sorry, Matthew, uh, it's fair to say that we're going to learn a lot from Renault. All eyes on Renault. We're going to learn a lot about two popular drivers. Yes. Yep. Good. That's good. <laughs> okay, good. I have a few more wild predictions. I've just looked at the time. We've been chatting for over an hour, and I know, Mr. Carter, that your time is precious for you. Time. No, I'm good. I'm good. And I also would like to circle back to... Um, Let's do it. Okay, fine. When we were talking about the DAS system, I was going to circle back to a couple of things that we tried to do at Lotus. Oh, yeah. Um, we're listening. Because they kind of they cropped up in my brain when I, was, when, I was, when I was watching all this stuff about DAS. So there's two specific things that we tried to do. So one of them was um, the area underneath the nose cone, which is popularly referred to as the tea tray, is the um, is the it's, it's sort of the piece of the, underneath the underneath the nose there. And the idea is to try and get downforce to go onto that and push the front of the car down into the corners. That's my very uh, very basic. Okay, sorry, right. That. So that might have skipped past a few people. Let me stop stop you again. What is the tea tray? So it's well, Chris can probably describe it in much more technical and flamboyant words. No, than no, I can, you, but you it's, do it. It's Chris, the, forget it's Chris. The area underneath the nose, which is uh, yes, a sort right. of a flat area, it looks a little bit like a tea tray. Um, and the idea of that, it's only it's a, it's a specified width and um, length. And the idea, really, and again, this is this is my absolute. I'm going to butcher this, but the idea is to get the airflow onto that to push the front of the car down and give you uh, give you grip at the, f- the front end of the car. Oh, okay. So oh. Summers was talking about this in the tech time. It is essentially it's a part of the front underside that they're exactly. trying to make you not do anything with. So it's kind of like a dead zone. And then this is the team's way to to to, to encroach on that and manipulate the aero in that. With so this is what the cape is kind of doing on the Mercedes. Exactly. That's exactly it. Now, and, and funnily enough, that was where, our, and this is a slight tangent, but that was where our twin-pronged nose of 2014 right. came in. right. Okay. Because the idea was that the air could go between the two noses and push down on that, and that was going to give us much more better grip. It didn't work. Anyway, <laughs> the tea tray, the tea tray is a, is a specific width, length, and, and specifically is, is, a, is a specific height from the ground. It has to be, there's a minimum height and they actually come and measure it with the ruler to make sure that you're not too close to the ground with that piece of, that piece of error. And our teacher here, Lotus, was held on by a very thin piece of carbon fiber. And what we decided we were going to do, or one of the guys, and this came from a meeting where I said, look, any wild, wacky, crazy ideas that anyone's got, let's bring them forward and see if we can try and make them work. So we came up with this idea of making the stay that held the tea tray very, very weak. In fact, you'd put, almost put a fracture in it. So the first time that you clipped a curb on the on the first lap, that would break and the tea tray would drop to the floor and it would therefore be lower than the minimum standard. But in theory, it would give us better downforce at the front end of the car. I mean, that's definitely cheating. Yes. Right. So that was the point. So the guys <laughs> wouldn't go with it because they decided that that was definitely cheating. So we uh, we played around with it for a while. I think we may have tried it in testing as well, just to see whether or not we could get away with it. The theory being, and this was all around the time of Red Bull's flappy, you know, their wings that yeah, flapped yes, more. Yes. And I remember going to a strategy group meeting and Christian Horner basically admitting that he'd known about, they'd known about it for races and they'd got away with it. It was worthwhile that they got away with it for so many races. Um, and that was why I said to them, look, if there's anything that we can come up with. So we, we tried that and we couldn't really make it work. And also it, when it broke completely, it dragged a little bit on the front of the car, so it didn't quite work. So that was one thing. 
the second thing that we tried to do was we came up with an idea where we we put a cam onto the um, onto the steering rack, so that as you turned into a slow corner, the inside of the front wing would dip lower to the ground. <laughs> so the steering itself would actually force the front wing a little bit lower on one side, and that is illegal as well. Because yeah, that's you're not a, supposed to affect the air. That's a movable aero device, surely. Exactly. Yeah. So, but, but, but the, you knew that you would be yes. contributing. And, and this, this drive was coming from the CEO yes. come team principal. <laughs> yes. You're a maverick. So, so the idea being that you, so, so when you turned the, 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 the inner, the inner front wing dipped into the corner and it gave you, again, it gave you a little bit more downforce and a little bit more grip into the corner. And we tried it on the simulator and we had at the time we had our simulator drive was a guy called Marco Sorensen, who now drives for Aston Martin in endurance racing. And he was finding about half a second a lap gain using this device um, around Barcelona, actually, which was the, the, the standard um, track that we ran in the simulator. The issue with it was when you straightened the wheel or when you came out of the corner, you had to actually counter steer. So you had to steer back the other way to essentially lift that piece of wing back up to it being straight. So you had to, instead of just allowing the wheel to go straight, you had to turn it back the other way as you came out the corner and neither Roman nor Pasta could get to grips with using it. So whilst Marco Sorensen was getting half a second a lap, both, both Pasta and Roman were actually going slower around the circuit with this, with this device. So they're just two. I mean, there, there was many that we wrote off over the period. And obviously Ooh. there were ones that went on the car, like the, the, like the twin pronged front nose that didn't work, but it just gives you an idea that we as a, as a mid table uh, team very yeah. mid to, to low <laughs> and with limited resources we were still really trying to think outside the box in every way that we could well we're honored in the chat room we're joined by full-time motorsport.com technical analyst matthew summerfield who points out it's only cheating if you get caught uh, that, that was exactly our point and that was because christian had said this in this strategy group meeting i was like well if they can do it and they get away with it and he openly flouts it and laughs about it in front of the FIA and says, well, we got away with it for five races. I was like, well, what's the worst that can happen here is that especially the bit that broke, well, it broke, you know, we're really sorry. We're going to try and make it much, much stronger next time around. But for, for now it broke, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry about that, but that's, that's life. Uh, Double Barge Board has a very similar comment and is a strong contender for comment of the week. It's not cheating. It's very well engineered flirtation with the rule book. Okay, so my question would be, um, uh, Matthew Carter, you've outed yourself as a as a maverick of the F1 paddock, willing to bend and break the rules to your own bidding. No, who we didn't in, do any of it, by the way. <laughs> who in the only because your engineers stopped you? To be fair, don't yeah, want to tell yeah. tales, but uh, who who in the current F1 paddock management structure do you think is is most Carter-esque or most Horner-esque in this way. I, I get the feeling there are some team principals who, who really don't want to do that. They're, they're happy to skirt the, 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 the regulations, but would not want to cheat until they get caught. I get the feeling that Mercedes would not want to cheat until they get caught. They would want to make sure that they find an innovation that no one yeah. else has thought of. I actually get the feeling Williams are like that as well. Uh, but who, who's the, the most Carter-esque? Uh, well, I mean, as I said, Red Bull, um, whether it yep. comes from Christian or from Adrian Newey or from whoever, Red Bull have always been known to be Horner. the ones that really push the push the, push the the boundaries. And I think Ferrari as well, to a certain extent. Really? I mean, you oh, look at the fuel. fuel flow. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I think all those things, I mean, you know, they're, they're very, very clever guys. They know what they're doing. They know when they're, 
when they're pushing the boundaries of the uh, of the rules. Basically, the teams that end up at the front. Exactly. <laughs> so you either need uh, a thousand employees at Brackley, or you need to just push the absolute. Uh, limits of the rule book. I mean, uh, that is fantastic. I think, guys, uh, we've we've more than overrun our time here. It's been a really interesting testing, and 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 me for one, I have loved, 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 loved uh, testing being covered, and I think it has massively demonstrated the change, uh, changing of the guard in F one with regard to promotion and media. It shows what Liberty Media are doing differently. I think to the old regime, they seem to have embraced social media. They have they have a lot more of an energetic team. There's a lot more people to talk to. the 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 the, pick, the comms crew has been rotating. They've been jumping to the paddock and speaking to a variety of different people. The tone has been interesting. So a massive hats off to F1 and as much as I I have to swallow this to Sky as well. The covering the coverage has been good and it and it can't have done anything. Uh, but promote F1 and get people excited about the new 2020 season. And in fact, we're only we're only halfway we're only halfway through it. I, w- I will just end on a couple of the teams that we didn't cover. Chris Haas uh, are famous now for Gunter Steiner, and I'm sure yeah. uh, on Friday is it when the season yeah. two of Drive to Survive is released? I am sure wait. we're going to learn a lot more about the Haas team and the Haas structure. And about how uh, Kevin Magnussen broke Steiner's uh, office door <laughs> yeah, one race. Yeah, so that's their big advertising Spain. point, is the is the relationship between Gunter Steiner and his drivers. He's very vocal. It's almost, it's very kind of military sergeant major-esque. I, I don't want to get like, I don't want to get soft or snowflakey. I have criticised Grosjean in the past. Mr. Carter has said things about Grosjean in the past. Everyone, everyone has said things about Grosjean in the past. But... He is in danger of becoming a an F1 media clown, and he is in danger of receiving so much hate and ridicule that we we could end up affecting an individual. So whilst he's a millionaire driver, Chris, and we don't need to, you know, cry too much for him, I, I think there's a danger that we could overdo the amount of grief we throw Grosjean's way. Did you did you see For the quotes sure. that he gave today? No. I think it was today or yesterday about how Formula One's not a sport. I disagree oh. with those heavily. Oh, you saw God. them, yeah? So yeah. basically that undermines everything I've just tried to say now. <laughs> well, he was, he ba- he said, he, well, Chris probably knows the, the quote better than I. I just quickly read across it. He said something about it's the, essentially the, the fact that it's not a level playing field oh, is like okay. sending, sending Federer out to play with a table tennis bat or something like that. Yeah, it was along those lines. And frankly, I, I really disagree with it. I know we've had similar discussions like this in the past, um, spanners, but, uh, you know, my, my thoughts on this, it's a team sport. Uh, in my view, Mercedes is equal to one Rod of Roger Federer. Yeah. Uh, well, well, no, it's, it's, um, it's, it's a sport where you can't fight it over a season. You have to fight it over a career. So it's been up to Grosjean to make sure that he can get the tennis racket instead of the ping pong bat, Chris. He's got to make sure that he goes from Haas and does enough. He's got to beat Kevin Magnussen. Kevin Magnussen yeah. is considered a journeyman. So he's got to get past Magnussen and get the attention of Ferrari. That And that exactly. is part of the F1 game. And if we're, you know, in the sort of critique area, 
was he not the only driver to actually crash his car? I know some people had spins, but he was I the know. only driver to actually crash his car this yeah, week. Yeah, I know. And that, that no, that's not true. Magnuson also made contact. But, but Magnuson's was caused by a puncture. Yeah, but he crashed. So that Yeah, yeah. but it wasn't it wasn't his fault. <laughs> okay, let's just It's a broken wheel rim. Fine. I think I've I think I've lost my argument, haven't I? I've lost my argument completely. But I, I agree with it in principle, actually, one hundred percent. It's all about just being a little nicer, isn't it? I think we could all do with just being a little nicer. Uh, a lot of the the teams seem to get the impression that McLaren are looking decent, uh, all showing uh, as well that it's bad news for Renault, which is kind of why I was talking about will they finish fifth, sixth, or seventh? Because Racing Point looked good, uh, McLaren looked good. Uh, and I'll, I'll make a bold, bold prediction as well, Chris. I, I think that Alpha are definitely going to finish above Alpha this season. Hey, psh, hey, yeah. right. hey I, that's my prediction and I'm sticking to it. What are yeah, your thoughts uh, on um, four cars being very similar in terms of colour palette? Oh, uh, which four? So Alfa Romeo, Alfa Toro, Haas and Williams all yeah. being predominantly white, which I think looking at it from the outside, I think is one of the issues that Formula E has sometimes when you watch the races, is that a lot of the cars look similar. Um, And I always thought that Formula One would go down the route where they're very strong and bold differentiation. And and they just seem to be very similar to me. Uh, So there was a a few seasons ago when, I think when Force India looked quite silver in in the low light, where half the grid looked basically gray. And it was, oh, what's going on? We can't tell the difference between, yeah. between any of the teams. And uh, yeah, it, it does look that way. And I'm really hoping that the Racing Point guys do have different helmets for, for the season. Like, surely they are just testing helmets. They're not going to send both... Chris, you're, you're shaking your head. They're not going to send their drivers out all season, both in, in very similar helmets, surely. Well, well, Racing Point tend to have pink helmets for both their drivers. Um, the Alpha Towery yeah. guys, they're both in red helmets, and yeah. that is a really bad idea, I think. Yeah, but so you, you're right, you're right, Mr. Carter. Um, th- 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 there is a lack of colour on the grid this season. I still think Williams are going to be 10th. I think they're going to be a, a closer 10th, uh, but th- there is going to be a, a grey in the midfield, especially I think Renault are going to come out with a very stylish kind of matte. I think they're all going for a very 90s understated style. Chris. Well, I think they've all gone. They've oh, all gone sure. this year. They've all gone some matte and some gloss, haven't they? It's it's. Um, they've realised that there's some very very minute gain to having a little bit of gloss and a little bit of matte on the on the car. It's certainly a lot more interesting to look at than that issue they had in 2015, where all the cars were black or grey or silver, and it was a very dull looking grid. At least the white is actually it, it looks good. You know, Chris Stevens, you are subbing for matte trumpets, correct? Yeah, you're, uh, you're, you're, yeah. You've, you've substituted for him in every way. You've made long, drawn-out points that could easily have been a third of the length. I'm not I'm not slating Matt. I love the guy. He is my podcasting brother-in-arms. But sometimes he has to go away. And in fact, I got asked. I got asked uh, via email, how come you have so many panellists? Why don't you just stick to a crew? And actually, Chris, that just started from when some people were not available. In fact, I think about three seasons ago... Trumpets was out for uh, three months. And that is when yeah. I brought you on and we got you set up with that setup and taught you about like, you know, podcasting and, and segments and stuff. So it adds, it has come from a kind of a, a place of, um, of need because otherwise we would have yeah. just given up. 
well, I'm making the most of the time I can put into the show now before the racing season starts and suddenly I'm working every weekend and unable to watch Grand Prix. Really? So you're well, not on yeah. any race reviews and this is how you tell me, live on air? It's, it's, it's going to be the same mm. as last year's Spanners. How many race reviews did I actually turn up on? I don't know. I pay very not little many. attention to the amount of times you're on the show. But when Matt isn't here, you do do a very good job of subbing in and we have found over the years that... Uh, that when we have a larger panel, uh, it means that we are not susceptible to pod fade. And loads of podcasts start, and then the people who committed to it early on find that they have a kid or a job, just just can't do it anymore. And that's why a lot of podcasts die. But we also realized immediately that it gave us a, a depth, uh, it gave us variety, and it was incredibly hard to make the show seem stagnant because we would just have different people bringing different stuff uh, every week. So, uh, Chris, in that spirit, can you give us a very untrumpet comment of the week? Comment of the week. And by untrumpets, I mean like literally like four maximum, not 17. Uh, um, I can stretch, no. I can stretch to five before okay, I get uh, bored. Do you know what? I'm just going to keep going. I'm just going to keep going. So uh, we're going to start out with one from Neuropean. Wow, this week Chris looks more dazzling than usual, even probably more than Matthew Carter. Uh, okay, so you're all... Okay, so first first of all, I'm going to click the button that shows you and uh, uh, you and Matthew Carter in the same window. No, yeah. that's not happening, even when you're older, with a fleck no, I, of... I fully agree. With a, a fleck of distinguished grey, it's not happening. Neuropean, that was a failed attempt to sway him for comment of the week. What's up next? But it works for me. Uh, next up, we have uh, Mark Greenhow. Dear Rocket, please find attached a press release about how we were first in practice in an attempt to, to get the sponsors to be interested in your quick testing times. Yeah, well, that's what they did, in fact, I think, to secure the Martini sponsorship. I, I have no proof of this, mm. although Mr. Carter is uh, is nodding his head. They suddenly came out in 2014 testing and just like zipped to the top of the things. And then the Mar- Martini sponsorship got announced. And I was like, hmm, okay. <laughs> Matt W404 has just said in the chat room, Chris looks like Matthew Carter's teenage son. Oh, hang on. Let's let's bring up the uh, side by side again. Let's try it again. Ooh, okay. Well, no one comes out well out of that. Let's move on. No. Next. Next. Okay. I, I allowed for one DAS uh, pun. I was adamant. Only one. And it goes to Richard McGill. I see you, baby, shaking that ass. Oh, ooh, I'm tempted to break my no pun rule, but, but I can't. Chris nope. Smith has just come in with annoying spanners. You're the best F1 podcast host in the world. So if people are complaining about you, feel free to compare them to uh, to refer them to me. Chris Smith might be a candidate. Chris? I don't think so. Um I do have a better pun, even, uh, actually. I can't remember where it is, though, so I'll just carry on with Mr. Phil, 9999. I think Mercedes allowed Racing Point to use their photocopier as well as their wind tunnel. <laughs> and, uh, their, and their tracing paper drawer. Which, uh, yep, then Michael Dissidor followed that up with Tracing Point. Looks like it's been a W10 from uh, the start. Uh, Clappers, when we were talking about Ricardo's potential, are you saying Ricardo's potential has maxed out? See, be. I can see you like that one. Wow, I don't uh, want to upset the Aussies because they're yeah. they're our fourth biggest audience. Uh, so we have to tread well, carefully, Chris. Uh, Double Barge Board, of course, had the it's not cheating. It's very well engineered flirtation with the rule book. Okay. Which is quite nice. He's not but won before th- either. 
Uh, and I, uh, and full disclosure, though, he he gave me the sim wheel that I'm competing in the Mist Apex I racing with. So that oh, really? that is really massively in his favour. If you give me a steering wheel, or let me race your race car around the Palmer Sport track, or let me race your uh, GTI production uh, uh, Peugeot around Silverstone, that massively increases your comment of the week chances. Well. Bradley Philpot came in quite late, presumably taking a break from watching the Lone Star Le Mans to say, what the heck? Chris has no glasses. Well, uh, that, has not- Im- that has improved your chances of not dying alone. So that's yes. a good comment. Considerably. Um, that's not going to win comment of the week. I think my top contender and the one I'm probably going to give it to goes to phrase Lotus were ahead of the Merc. Petrov pioneered the DAS in 2011 in Malaysia when he took off. If anyone remembers that race where he flew through the air and the steering wheel came off. Okay, are we suggesting that he pulled the steering wheel towards him and then launched in the air? Was that, that wasn't over the top of Rosberg, was it? No, that was... No, no, that was Carthage. He went Carthic over the top Kayan, of Carthage yeah, yeah. <laughs> This was um, a couple of years before that. Okay. A year you, before Are that. you uh, giving that award to... to- I'm, giving, I'm giving that to Fraze. That, is that his name? Yeah, F-R-A-S-E. Okay, well done, Fraze. You have won this week's... Comment of the week. Well, I have to say, uh, Chris, my expectations of you as a co-host and comment of the week person were massively lower than anyone could ever have imagined. But you bringing 20 nominations, has it, has, 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 it has gone even lower than I could ever have thought you would go. You asked me to channel Matt in every way possible, and I thought I'd balance out the not talking so much about tyres with some extra comment of the week Yeah, but he gives us good insight, so... I did swings and roundabouts guys we're gonna do this all over again next sunday where we review the second week of testing uh, you can follow chris at chris on racing on twitter matthew carter still refusing to do social media and an open twitter account yep dude you'd get like a million followers straight away move on think of all that attention that it would be amazing fine follow me though I would love the attention. Please follow me at SpannersReady on Twitter. You can be my Facebook friend on Facebook by searching for Richard Ready, or we'd love to hear from you in our Facebook group uh, by searching for Missed Apex Podcast there. And if you want to support us, the place we hang out the most online is our Patreon Slack group. So you can go to patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex and help us survive and thrive wherever we see you next. Be kind, work hard, and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. One minute 28. For sure, I thought that, like, with Matthew and, like, no trumpets and only two panellists, that that would be a tight hour show. I blame... I'm sorry, sir. I blame you, Mr. Carter... You came in at the 55-minute mark with, like, a million great anecdotes. It's your fault. One minute 28, Spanners. Uh, did I say one minute 28? You said one minute 28. Oh, that's that's really my outro. That's fine. Okay, and I would never, I would never re-record my outro to make it seem funnier. How dare you? I think, I think this is funnier. We should just leave this bit in. No. This bit as well. So when I, when I muck up the outro to that extent, when it's factually incorrect... I just let the music play out or I play out the whole of the, the song that is the outro and I play that all out and people are like, oh, wow, that's nice that you've mixed it up by playing the whole song as the outro. It's like, no, player, 
you've been mugged. I just mucked up the outro, and that's what I'm leaving you with. Now let's just leave this in. And that bit as well. Leave no, that no, bit. no, no, no. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.